Everybody doing okay? Good. All right, we're going to talk about one of the least controversial subjects in Baptist churches. All right? Nobody ever worries about this one. This was one of the ones that some of, somebody out there, I don't know who, but asked just pers- biblical perspective on alcohol. And so that's what we're going to do tonight. Okay? We're going to talk about it. It'll be a, we're going to meander our way through it and get to a conclusion. Now, I do that a lot, but we're really going to meander a little bit tonight to get there. Okay? So I'm going to give you some biblical things the Bible says, some implications, and some realities. The, the problem with this, there are some things in Scripture that are black and white, that are right and wrong, that are absolute. Okay? The Bible says do not murder. That is absolute. The Bible says do not commit adultery. That is absolute. So there's no real issue on where you end up on that as what you ought to do or ought not to do. Okay? At the same time, there are those issues that are not so cut and dry. And that's where it gets difficult when you're trying in today's world to figure some things out. I mean... Like I said, cheating, stealing, lying, eating Big Macs till you puke, those are all in Scripture, or fried chicken, mashed potatoes, or Thanksgiving dinner till you. Those are all in Scripture laid out as don't things, right? And we have some things in Scripture that are do. You do these things. Um, but there are some things that um, are not as easily. Uh, what what do you do about whether a believer should ever watch an R-rated movie? Um, is that ever acceptable? Is it okay? Does it depend on what's in there? Um, should a Christian ever listen to anything other than Christian music? What, what, what kind of music is it okay to listen to? What kind of uh, media is it okay to intake? What about, um, what about plastic surgery? Is that something that's acceptable or something that's not? Um, well, non-medical or, you know, there are times where... Well, maybe because it's medically needed or times when it's not. I mean, you see what I'm saying? There are some issues that aren't as cut and dry, sometimes because they weren't in the Bible. I mean, they didn't have plastic surgery in the Bible. They didn't have surgery like we have surgery in the Bible. They didn't have R-rated movies in the Bible. So some of that is that. Alcohol is an interesting thing because it is in the Bible. Um. And as we'll see in a minute, in the Bible it's presented in a way that's different than churches often present it. And so we have to deal with, well, is it okay? So here's what I want you to do. We're going to take informal poll in a minute. But I want you to answer that question before we start. Can a Christian have a beer? I want you to talk to people around you a little bit. I want you to be in groups of three or four. And I want you to come to a consensus in your group. Okay? may not take you long. It may take you a while. Okay? Can a Christian have a beer? All right? Miss Betty didn't get to be part of a group, but there's going to be another question you can be a part of, Miss Betty. So let's, let's just see by a show of hands. What groups think it's that a Christian can have a beer? Okay? What groups think a Christian can't have a beer? All right? Here's the first thing I would say is that's kind of a trick question. Because if you do it grammatically, yes, absolutely. Somebody could, a person that has a Christian could walk into a store and could get a beer. Okay, so, so this is the question I want you now to discuss. Should a Christian have a beer? Should a Christian have a beer? I'm going to have, I'm going to have 35, 40 minutes to talk about it. All right, so y'all talk about it. Should a Christian have a beer? All right. Yeah, it's not just beer, it's alcohol in general. And that's that's a sensationalistic kind of should a Christian have a should a Christian have wine, should any kind of alcoholic drink. It's not just a beer, not just going down and getting you a Budweiser. But should a Christian drink alcohol is the non sensationalistic title. The, y'all discuss. I'm not answering questions. I'll answer questions in a moment, but all right, let me give you a, a real-life situation. Let me give you a real-life situation that happened with me in Ripley, okay? I was, some of you have heard me tell this story before, and I may have told it in here before, but it relates to this topic. 
one day in Ripley, we, we had hired, um, I, when, I, when I went to Ripley, I was 25 years old, okay? And the first youth minister I hired was two years younger than me. So you think you have a young staff here. I had a 25-year-old and a 23-year-old. Uh, and so that was our staff. We had a music minister that in his early 40s. So we didn't even have, I mean, that, our top end was uh, not that, that old. And so one day... He, he was a guy that I remember when we interviewed with him, we talked with him about medical insurance, and he said, I haven't had medical insurance in two years. I never get sick, which is always the famous last words, all right? He was from South Alabama. He went to school in Birmingham. He had never contended with West Tennessee allergies, all right? And one fall after he'd gotten there, he, he came in sick as a dog. He had had allergies that had turned into some kind of sinus junk, and he had yet to fill out all his paperwork he needed to have insurance. It had been on his desk. We had hounded him about it. And so he needed a solution. And I said, well, go down and get some saline, buy some over-the-counter allergy medication, see if that helps out or whatever. So the next morning he came in and he said, man, I've got a terrible headache. And I said, well, David, what's going on? He said, well, I mean, I just hadn't felt well. I said, he said, I can breathe today, but i got a bad headache. And I got my eyes, I woke up and they were red. And I said, well, did you go get some medicine? He goes, no, no, no. But Right before I left here yesterday, um, our secretary told him, come by the house, I'll have something for you to help you. And I said, well, what did she give you? He said, she gave me something called a hotty toddy. Said it was medicinal. I said, yeah, it was medicinal and you're hungover. It's now, I mean, as a pastor, you know, you had, if somebody would have walked in that day, has your youth minister ever had alcohol? Well, as a matter of fact, he did last night. He didn't know what he was drinking, but he had it. And, I mean, that um, we found out about a year later our secretary had been embezzling $90,000 worth of money from us as a church for 10 years. And so it wasn't the only thing she had issues with. But uh, so what about, what about those cases? This is confession time. How many of you had your parents, or anybody ever have your parents give you something like that? My grand, my grandmother, Granny Larson. Now she didn't give it to me, but Granny, Granny Nell, and Granny Larson both were some of the finest Christian women I've ever known. Granny Nell taught children Sunday school till her rheumatoid arthritis wouldn't let it. She taught Bible school every year. She taught me Sunday school when I'd come over before Sunday to help. I was her practice case fine Christian lady, but she had a little bottle up in the top and when it got time for cold season, if they needed to make a little concoction, they made a little concoction and not, none of the kids got it, but the adults would have a little bit for bed to mixed with lots of other stuff. I don't know what the concoction is, but it was mixed with stuff. Um, honey and rock candy and Whatever, yeah, yeah. Some of you, some of you, nobody raised their hand knew what it was, and now everybody's giving the ingredients out. Oh, it's, it's we've never done that, but it's rock candy. It's, and so we just—I heard from a friend of a friend, right? So here's the thing: we're going to talk about tonight. What do we do? And, and really, I want this to serve as a case study for other gray areas. Okay. And so here's the first thing: Bible idea number one. Drunkenness is a sin. Okay? Unequivocally, in Scripture, drinking too much is a sin. Um, there's places in Scripture where it teaches that. Uh, the, uh, the place where it's kind of pointed out most clearly is in Ephesians 5:18 that says this, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Debauchery is just riotous living. It's um, uninhibited living, instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the interesting thing is most people read that first part and then don't realize that what they're saying is you ought to be so filled with the Spirit that your life reflects someone who has been um, filled with the passion for the Holy Spirit. But the idea there is don't get drunk on wine. In Scripture, over and over and over, people who get drunk are shown in a negative light. Um, you've got... Uh, in the Old Testament, you've got some of the fathers of the Old Testament, some of the founding members of Christianity through the Israelites um, being shown in negative light when they drink too much and they find themselves in compromising positions. 
Okay, uh, over and over again, you see this theme that drunkenness is always wrong. Drinking to get drunk, or even to get a buzz, is always considered wrong. All right. So that's the first thing. Here's the second biblical idea: breaking the law is a sin. Okay. So if you ever get to the point where you are drinking and breaking the law, it's a sin. And so if uh, one, one of the things that means for none of us in this room, but applies to many of the people we know and love a lot, is when you are under 21 years old, drinking is against the law. And if it's against the law, it's a sin. And so no matter how many of your friends are doing it or their friends are doing it or how much they protest and they're old enough to handle it our society has deemed 21 years old to be the drinking age and so anything um but any drinking below that is wrong if you're drinking and getting in a vehicle and driving under the influence it's a sin now our our culture considers that almost the ultimate sin if you hear people um accused of that that's one of the worst things you can do and it is a terrible thing in scripture it just teaches us that any kind of breaking of the law is sin. So, um, so those who refuse to obey the laws of the land are refusing to obey God. And punishment will follow. And so on some of this, it is clear cut. If you're out saying, I had a terrible day at work, my life has collapsed, and I'm just going to go drink until I don't feel anything. That's wrong. I'm just going to drown my sorrows. I'm going to live a country song right now. That's wrong. If you're saying that you're under 21, which none of us are, but you have kids that come in and say, well, what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is it's against the law. That's a big deal. Now, it's one of those laws that if you talk to teenagers and college students and even some adults, they say, yeah, but that's one of those. You just kind of, It's kind of like the... You can go 39 and a 35. It's on the books, but we know that by the time you're 20, everybody's drinking. Well, for the Christian, those are never acceptable excuses. Neither is, I'm just going 74 and a 70, because that's allowable. Breaking the law is a sin. Now, there are exceptions to that. When a law is made, which we don't have these in our country necessarily, that forbids you from speaking the name of Jesus, it's okay to break the law. When it becomes a law against you proclaiming your faith or living it out in a way that Scripture commands, it's okay to follow God's law instead of man's. But we're not talking about that here. We're not talking about any of these things being prohibiting us following going 74 and a 70 no matter if it is going to church isn't prohibiting you from following god's law right i i I have been pulled over a couple of times in my life here i've never been pulled over speeding which means i will be tomorrow so you know i just said that okay but but i've been pulled over for not coming to a full and complete stop or that my tags expired or something like that it wouldn't do me any good to tell the officer, well, I was really in service of the Lord for the last three days, and I have not had the opportunity to go and get my tags renewed. Or I was on my way to the hospital for one of our church members, and so I did not have to come to a complete stop. Okay? That doesn't work. So those are the first two things, and most of you have shook your head in complete agreement as I have put those first two things up. Here's the third idea. In the Bible... Alcohol is a gift from God. In the Bible, when alcohol is mentioned, it is mentioned as a gift from God. Now, some of you think, I ain't never heard that in a Baptist church before. Okay? Well, I'll read you a couple of verses, okay? This is Psalm 104, verses 14 and 15. He makes the grass grow for the cattle and the plants for man to cultivate bringing forth food from the earth. Now, who's that doing that? It's God, right? Here's what he brings forth. Wine that gladdens the heart of a man. Oil to make his face shine and bread that sustains his heart. Here's one from Proverbs 3. 
Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything your land produces. And a lot of sermons preached on that about tithing. Bring it in. If you do that, then He's going to fill your barns with grain and He's going to give you the finest wine. All right? Um, in the Old Testament, it's a sign of blessing. In the New Testament, where do we see it in the New Testament? At the wedding feast. Well, at least Jesus wasn't there drinking it, right? Well, he was there. And what's, what is the first miracle Jesus performs? He changes water into Welch's grape juice. Is that what he does? It fermented grape juice is what he turns it into. Now, how do we know? There, there are some preachers out there, and you can find them, and they're respectful men, and and I, 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 I follow them on a lot of what they argue and they preach and they teach, but I don't see how in that story you can think that it is anything other but fermented wine. Partly because the comment that's made once it's changed, what do they say about it? It's the best stuff. It's not the cheap stuff. What, what they often did at those kind of weddings is they front-loaded the good stuff so that after you had enough good stuff, you didn't care what the rest of it was. And so then you've got guests going, they brought out the good stuff last. All right? Well, at least Paul never said anything about it, except that he did. In 1 Timothy 5.23 he tells Timothy, this is Paul telling Timothy, stop drinking water only and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. That, that's not preached a lot in Baptist churches either. All right, y'all quit drinking water out there and go get you some wine, okay? So if you go biblically, you can find all you want to about it saying that drunkenness is bad and breaking the law is bad. But you can't see where it completely condemns alcohol in Scripture. Okay? Now, that leads to four positions that people have. When it comes to the question of can Christian have a beer, and like I said, that means any alcohol, really. It's not just a beer, just alcohol in general. There are four positions people take. The first position is what they call an abstainer. That means that they completely refuse to drink don't like the taste, they don't want it, they don't think it tastes good, it, it causes problems, or because of religious convictions, they say, you should never, I will never, I'm not. Okay? Uh, abstention was big, has been big in the United States since its inception. Uh, in fact, one of, the, uh, one of the amendments to the Constitution prohibited alcohol uh, and lasted very short amount of time, all right? And so you have some people that are complete abstainers, uh, people that um, would never, ever consider it ever touching their lips, okay? Uh, we're going to, uh, which I'm in this camp, by the way, so before y'all get really concerned about where I'm going with this whole thing as your preacher, uh, this is where I am, and so we're going to... Um, we're going to St. Louis for a few days. I'm taking the boys to their first ever Cardinal baseball game. And we're going to do some stuff at the zoo and the arch and all that kind of stuff. And when I was a kid, we used to go to the tour, the, the Budweiser factory. You'd tour it. And at the end of the tour, they'd always, for everybody that came, you could sample whatever they had from all over the world or whatever. And my parents sampled Coke and pretzels. And, you know, it wasn't... They didn't sample that. They were abstainers and are, and I am, and so that's what it means. You even know it's not going to happen, okay? Second group are what they call moderate drinkers or social drinkers. These are the people that when they're at a reception and there's wine at the reception, they'll take and drink some wine, or maybe um, um, they go home and at night they have um, beer in the refrigerator and they get done with work on a hot day and they go home and have a, a cold beer sitting watching TV or they go to a Mexican restaurant and when they're at a Mexican restaurant every six months they think I'll have a beer. Th these are not people that drink regularly but when they find themselves in certain situations or social places they do that. Um, some of our missionaries have issues between which of these two they're going to be. 
And this is the reason. I have a friend that was a missionary in France. Uh, he's not anymore, but he was. And in France, it's an insult to the people you are with if you do not drink their wine. As a Southern Baptist missionary, he wasn't allowed to drink their wine. And he struggled with the fact that his witness to them as believers was hindered because he could not participate in that way. Now, he's a guy that grew up in in uh, Memphis and pastored a church in Smyrna. So he's not a guy that, that wants to do that. He just said... He, he, and he never really wanted to taste it. He just said, I realize there that there are segments of our society where it, in their situation it's impolite, rude not to do that. But anyways, that's a moderate drinker. The third category is abuser. Now, um, this is not an alcoholic. We'll get there in a minute. But this is somebody that uh, when they drink, they may not drink all the time. It may not be a lifestyle. It may not be the illness. But it causes major difficulties. This is a person that can't have one but has three. They may not do it every day of the week or every week, but when they do, it's, it's not good. It ends up affecting work. It ends up affecting their family. have medical, legal problems regularly. Uh, affects relationships and endangers family or themselves. They, uh, just, it's a part of who they are. And then the last one is an alcoholic. Um, this is where there's some physiological, emotional, mental issues that cause this to be a literal disease, something that they have to work to get over. They need medical help. They need professional help to uh, overcome. It, it, the lifestyle, not necessarily the problem. It's the problem of alcoholism. Um, sometimes those last two kind of bleed into each other a little bit. Um, uh, for instance, sometimes events cause people that were moderate drinkers to become abusers or abusers to become alcoholics. Um, my uh, my my grandfather, my dad's dad, was a guy that uh, used to drink some, uh, not a lot. was a moderate, casual, social drinker. was at, as I've told you, was at Pearl Harbor when it was bombed, and it completely ruined his life. I mean, his friends were killed. Um, he came back to West Tennessee uh, on medical. He went to the hospital that was at the Dyersburg Air Force Base and, you know, tried to rebuild his life. Met my grandmother there. She was a candy striper. They married. Um, but he could never kick that habit. He ended up dying uh, before I ever met him. Uh, my, my mom never met him. They, they were, uh, he died before my parents ever met, and it was all because of complications of this. And he was a guy that went from a moderate to an abuser to an alcoholic. Uh, and so it progressed. And I'll be honest with you, part of the reason that I have never, ever considered it is because I know the history of my family, and I don't know... Um, scientists are saying now it's pretty rare the person that takes one drink and becomes a raging alcoholic but there's no reason for me even to attempt to figure that out and so um, that has to be in the back of your mind as well it's when it becomes something that controls you instead of you controlling it it's always an issue and so those are the four positions okay so here's what we have we've got the three statements I made about what the Bible says that uh, drunkenness is a sin, that uh, breaking the law is a sin, and yet Scripture also says that alcohol is a gift from God, wine in particular, but it also in the Proverbs will talk about beer cheering the heart of a man. Okay, So you have those three things. Then you've got these four positions, and then you ask the question, so what do we do about it? Where do we need to be? Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, what we have here is a, a um, study on a gray issue from Paul. Okay, Now, we're going to talk about food sacrifice to idols, and that, that is going to relate to us in this discussion of alcohol, but um, you kind of have to set the scene. Um, back in their day, uh, there were a lot of these believers that were from pagan backgrounds, and in their day, to be from a pagan background meant you went to a pagan temple where you had pagan sacrifices and pagan feasts. And what would happen in these pagan sacrifices and pagan feasts is that people would bring uh, a sacrifice to the altar, to the temple. They would burn part of it. They would save part of it either for the feast or for the priest, and then they would sell part of it. Okay? So it was they brought it in, and then the temple would take a part. They would eat a part, and they would sell a part. Okay? 
And so the question that Paul is answering is, believers were being invited to unbelievers' homes, which is a good thing. And they were sitting around at a table, and they would say, man, that is a fine piece of lamb you've got there. Where did you get that lamb? Oh, I bought it down at, uh, at the temple. They, they, you know, they sell the leftover stuff, and I, I bought some. Of the, oh, so this was food that was set aside for idols. Yeah. Dig in. And people were asking Paul, what do we do about that? Do we eat it? Do we refuse? They've invited us into their home. They're fixing us a meal. And you think, well, they shouldn't be that offended. Well, let me just ask a question. If you, if you had a dinner party for 20 people and you spent days preparing for this dinner party, and you fixed the food, and you'd work for two to three days in the kitchen getting everything together. And then everybody sat down to eat, and half the people at the table goes, oh, we don't eat food like that. You got anything else? And how are you going to feel? It's, I know it's church, but we can be honest there, all right? You're not going to you're gonna be upset, right? Now you may say, oh, we can, sure, we can pull out the bologna. We got bologna in the refrigerator. If you don't want the prime rib steaks, I've sitting two days getting ready, we'll go in and get some bologna. But inside, you're going to be boiling. Or what if you did that and it was your husband or your wife that said that? Some of these people were believers who had pagan spouses. And the wife came home from, you know, wife went to the market while the husband was out working and bought some meat down at the temple and the husband came back in he'd been a believer and his wife has made a lamb stew out of idol sacrificed or dedicated meat so they're coming to paul and they were saying so what do we do about this paul this is what paul says in verse one starting in, in chapter eight verse one nobody now about food sacrificed to idols we know that we all possess knowledge Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know. But the man who loves God is known by God. We'll get to that in a minute. So then about eating food sacrificed to idols. We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father from whom all things came and for whom we live, and there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. But not everyone knows this. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat such food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to an idol, and since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. So here are the first two or three things, and then we'll finish up the chapter. The first thing Paul basically tells them, and the first principle on this issue for us, is nobody likes a know-it-all. Okay? And where do you get that? Well, I get it from, we all possess knowledge, and knowledge puffs up. The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know. What Paul is telling them there, and one of the themes in 1 Corinthians is, don't tell everybody you got it all figured out. Because you don't. And so he says, anyone who comes to an issue like this, what you shouldn't do is sit down at a table and go, I cannot believe y'all are eating meat like that. Because I know that that is not right. We have this knowledge, but that doesn't mean that we have to lord it over people. I work with this with, with Eli all the time. Because he's the older brother. And he has now determined he is the official speech correction agent Luke. And so if Luke conjugates a verb incorrectly, Eli pounces on him. Luke, we do not say we swammed. We say we swam. Eli, we do not, Luke, we do not say we, it was tooked. We say it was taken. And I say, Eli, your brother is four years old. He will learn as you have learned in time. And Luke will say, Eli, quit. And basically he's saying, I don't want to be around to know it all. Okay? Now, I want you, if possible, without 
thinking of names or faces, to imagine, if you will, what it would be like to be around somebody that knows it all. You ever had that experience? Is it a pleasant experience? Is it a pleasant experience getting corrected continually? When I was in high school, I corrected my mom and dad a lot. And I look back on that and think, oh, I, I did not know what I was talking about. Teenagers especially think they know how to correct their parents. We're not there yet, but we're going, all right? And so nobody likes that. And Paul says the first thing you can't do is to let everybody know how much more than you know about them, okay? Well, I'll tell you, y'all can eat that meat if you want to because we all know there are no such things as idols. And so it's never been an idol. There won't be an idol. So it doesn't matter anyways. Y'all just enjoy. It's in your attitude is the first thing, okay? So we have to be careful not to come off as somebody that knows everything. Here's a second thing. Paul says that in this issue, our salvation is not in jeopardy. He tells them that in 1 Corinthians 8.8. 8. Food, or in the case we're talking about with alcohol, does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat it, and no better if we do. As we talked about here, we're not talking about issue of drunkenness. We're not talking about the issue of breaking the law. We're just talking about that moderate drinking. And an occasion that is okay and set aside, Paul says, if you take a drink, you're not going to lose your salvation. It's not, it's not like that is the deal breaker. We all sit here and think, well, no. But at times we've made people feel that way. Well, if you take a drink, you've got to question your relationship with the Lord. If you've ever done that, I, you know, I just I just don't know. Or we, um, now again, with, with our teenagers, it's, uh, it's against the law, so it's wrong. But the way we couch it sometimes makes it seem like it's the unpardonable sin. And that is what Paul said. If you've been at a feast and you've put that first bit of lamb in your mouth, you go, man, this is good. Where did you get this? Well, we got it down at the temple. You know, let me get that out, all right? You don't have to do that. It's not going to, the food, this is like what Jesus says, it's not what goes into a man that makes him unclean. It's what comes out, right? So our salvation is not in jeopardy. Here's the third thing. Be careful in using your freedom. Here's the reality. In Christ, we are completely free. Once Jesus Christ has saved us, once we have accepted the free gift of salvation that comes from Him, there is absolutely nothing you can do to do away with that grace that He has provided. So you are free in Christ, to do whatever. Now, here's the trick that comes along behind that. The closer you get to Christ, the farther away you want to get from those things that are of the world. Okay? And so we have to be careful in how we exercise our freedom. We don't flaunt it. We don't say, I can, so I will. Um, When we were in college... There was a real popular group. They're still, they're a couple, they're still around. The group's still around, and the lead singer at that time is, is by himself. But they came to our school at Union, and uh, I was help. I helped get them there. Uh, I loved their music. They'd been at a conference we'd been at. Uh, they were kind of. This was we, we got them right before they went on a major label, so we didn't have to pay a whole lot of money Union to get them there. They we set up like they wanted to set up. It was this. It was the first time something like that had happened at Union. It, kind of a new era of campus ministry. It's a big deal. We were expecting, you know, unions of campus at that time had about 1,500 students, and we were expecting five or 600 to show up. It was a big deal. And before the concert, the lead singer went up to one of our guys and just said, uh, you know anywhere around here I can get a beer real quickly? And the guy said, well, you're not going to get it at a union. I can tell you that. I don't know. He said, well, why are you asking? He said, well, I just like to exercise my freedom in Christ just to prove to myself that I'm not a slave to legalism. And I like to do that before I sing. 
reality is he wanted a beer before he sang, and he was trying to find theological reasons to find it. But that is an example of flaunting your liberty or your freedom. Okay? So we have to be careful how we use this. is what Paul says in verse 9. Be careful. He almost says it like I say it. Or I almost say it like he says it. All right? Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone with a weak conscience sees you who have this knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't he be emboldened to eat what has been sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother, remember Paul says, now, but there, there's no meat sacrificed to idols, but in his mind he may think that you are living a double life. You're, you're following Christ, but it's okay to follow his old life as well. So this weaker brother for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against your brothers in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause him to fall. Aren't you glad I'm not talking about steaks tonight? Here's what he says. We have to be careful how we exercise our freedom because of the people that are watching. And here is the thing that as believers we ought to do on a continual basis, and we don't. We need to make the best decisions for others. We have to make decisions in our lives based on other people. In some ways, we understand that. Susan and I don't go spend all our money whenever we want to spend our money because we know that our kids need to be provided for. There, If you wanted me to make a list of ten things I would like to have that I do not currently have... I could give you a list of ten things I would like to have that I do not currently have. And in fact, a few weeks ago, I was in Sam's, and I had received a little extra money from, uh, it was one of those kind of unclaimed property things. We got it in the mail. It was from, actually, Susan and I received it. It was from a teaching job in Texas where they had some unpaid wages. Okay? And what, I mean, we couldn't go buy a car. We really couldn't buy a really good dinner with it, but we it was some, Okay? And so we don't just have that kind of stuff every now and then floating into our lives. And so I was in Sam's, and we had been talking about getting a particular electronic device. Not very expensive, not extravagant, but I was just looking at it. And I thought, I've got the money to buy this. I mean, we just got the money to buy this. It'd be nice to have. I know how I would use it, and I would use it a lot. And then I thought, but Eli's shoes are wearing out. And... Maddie, I don't know how much stuff we're going to have to buy for her for this summer. And Susan really needs a new pair of pants because I saw hers were tearing up at the bottom. And suddenly you think of others before you think of yourself. So there are places that we do that. But there are also places where we think of ourselves before we think of others. The issue of alcohol, for me, is one of those that I make the best decision for others. And the truth is, part of that's because I'm a Baptist preacher. Now, part of it's the reason I told you earlier, my grandfather and that history. Part of it is, I've smelled it. I've been at, I've been at ball games. I've been, and I, beer especially, I just, it turns my stomach at the smell of it. Now, I, I thank the Lord that that is the case, all right? Um, but part of it is because I'm a Baptist preacher. If I was a Methodist preacher or a, a Catholic priest, that's where I'd, fallen, that's not a big deal. I mean, in fact, it's encouraged in some places. But for me, as the pastor of First Baptist Church Goodlettsville, if I'm down at the Mexican restaurant having some fajitas and they walk by and there's a Corona on my table, there are going to be some calls to Deborah the next morning. It don't matter if it ain't anybody connected to our church. Somebody is going to be there. I think I'm like, uh, yeah, somebody in the government is going to have that camera on me and go, Larson Beer, call Decker, let her know. Whoever. Just, you're the first person I saw. So anyways, you know, somebody, somebody's going to know and find out, and then we're going to have, we're going to have meetings, and we're going to have discussions, and we're going to have issues, and more than that, the, the talk in town's going to be, the Baptist preacher. Who's the Baptist preacher? And he shouldn't be doing that. I mean, I do, but he shouldn't be. I mean, I know the, some I know some Baptists up there do, but the preacher 
shouldn't be. So for me, it is a stumbling block issue. I think about it in relation to my kids. You know, I don't want them to live in a house where it's prevalent, where it's there. Just because I, being in a pastorate position, I see the number of kids whose lives are going according to the plan of God. And when they hit 14, 15, 16 years old, something happens. They end up taking a drink with a friend at a party, and their lives go in a completely different direction. I know of friends of mine that that happened, people that were in my youth group, that were friends with me, that were following the Lord. And the truth is many of them have come back to the Lord, but they went through five, ten years of very difficult times and walking away from the Lord. That's not not necessarily the reason, but it helped contribute to the lifestyle that led to the, the reason. So I see that. And it just comes down to what is my responsibility to others? Romans 14, 20 says this. This is another place. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. So the question of why, Pastor, you just said that the Scripture says that wine is a blessing and Jesus drank wine and Paul told Timothy to drink wine so why have you decided not to do that well it's because of my belief that I don't need it A there's no reason for me to have it part of the reason wine was so prevalent in their day they didn't have Welch's grape juice that you could buy and keep in a refrigerator and have refrigerated So if you wanted to preserve fruit juice, you fermented it. And the options they had were fermented fruit juice, squeeze it fresh into your mouth fruit juice, or water. That wasn't always, you couldn't always just go to the faucet and get water. So it's a different time frame. I don't need it necessarily. I don't have any reason to need it. And then the second thing is just because I want to make the best decision for others. Now here's the thing. I want to give you some um, let me give you some conclusions that I make out of all of this. Okay, First of all, <coughs> the first conclusion, you can go on to the next one, is people under 21 shouldn't drink. Okay, So you got teenagers. It is perfectly in your capability to tell your teenager, your 20-year-old, it's against the law. Scripture teaches don't go against the law, don't drink. Here's the second one. This is not an issue to be avoided. Parents, grandparents, you need to speak openly with your children. Now, here's where you've got to be careful how you speak to them as well. Um, I don't think it does any good to say the Bible tells us we should never drink. Now, if you find that verse, let me know. But it's not there. And so don't be disingenuous with your kids to try to convince them that it's there and that it's always wrong according to the Bible in every situation. The Bible doesn't say that. Now, I've just made an argument for why I don't, and I think if you could make an argument from that, this is why we don't. This is why it's important, we think, for you not to. Besides the fact that it's against the law, I can tell you that, so you shouldn't. But you have these conversations. Uh, We've all known parents, friends, family that have people that, are getting in trouble in this area and the parents don't even know they're even doing anything. Either A, because they thought their kid would never do that and so they never thought to talk to him about it or B, they just were too shy to talk to him about it. We we had a conversation. with We didn't talk about beer and drinking the other day, but the other day at the dinner table, the conversation led itself to discuss people taking things in their body that they shouldn't take and talking about drugs and we talked about Alcohol, and we, we just, we didn't, like I said, we didn't give name brands and don't do it. And we just said, you know, there are people that um, drink things and eat things and, and take things that they shouldn't. And it causes them to have problems. And so we've tried to begin a conversation even at seven, eight years old. Uh, because if we don't start the conversation, by the time they get to be 10, the conversation's been started. The schools are doing just say no campaigns in the elementary schools because they need to be done in elementary schools. So this isn't a conversation that you can shy away from. You say, well, my kids are 35 years old. 
I'm kind of too late for that if I haven't had that conversation. Well, that doesn't mean that you don't have grandkids that are 10, 5, 15, 4. And again, this is not a place where you walk in and go, all right, four-year-old, I'm setting you down. Don't you ever drink anything ever in your life that has alcohol in it, all right? But you just have the conversation. This is true whether you're talking about alcohol, whether you're talking about premarital relationships with the opposite sex. You're talking about issues that our culture tries to push in on them consistently. All right? Here's a third conclusion. If people need help, they need to seek it out. Now, pretty confident talking to the group here that we don't have a multitude of people that need help in this area. But you may know people that do. And there are times when, as family member, parent, grandparent, friend, co-worker, that you may have to push people, okay, to get help. Here's the fourth thing. Be cautious with your judgments about other people. By the time I was a 16-year-old high school student, I thought if you were ever drinking, you were unsaved. And that had been instilled in me from growing up in Baptist church and hearing everything I heard. And then I, I met some people not who were, who were not Baptist. This is as I got older, who were genuinely following the Lord, that were seeking Him, that were doing His work, and they drank a beer every now and then. And it, how in the world can that be? Well, partially because I talked about tonight, Scripture doesn't say don't ever do it. It gives some arguments, I think, of why it's not wise, but it does because that is a part of their life. On a random or occasional basis, doesn't mean that they are people who are destined for hell. Our fifth one, consider the cost and make the best decision for others. For me, if I were just rationally to make a pros and cons list about this issue, my cons list from experience is a long. The people that I've seen, the ways that affected people, what could happen. And you just think in my life, and I know I'm a special case because I'm the pastor of a Baptist church, but you're talking about if, if I went out that scenario and I had one at, at the Mexican restaurant, I, I could lose livelihood, career opportunities, uh, able to do what I think the Lord has called me to do and the place God's called me to do it. I mean, those are realities. Not to mention the fact that it could start me to a lifestyle or a path or that could cause issues with family and friends and health. As a diabetic, it's not real wise, no matter who you are, what your religious beliefs are. Then if I go to the pro, pro list, there's not much in this society. Feel comfortable at a situation. I thought it was interesting at our high school reunion. I went back for our 10-year high school reunion. It's been longer than I want it to be now. I'm closing in on 20 years of high school reunion. Um, in three years, I'll be 20 years. But I was pastor at Ripley and went back for my 10-year reunion. And uh, it was interesting to see how people acted around me. Because we were 28-year-old adults. We were at a country club, and there was an open bar. And it was one of those things that I, you know, I considered going or not going, but I, I was going to go hang out with people I hadn't seen in 10 or 15 years, and I wanted to see them and hang out with them and talk with them. And I sat at the uh, non-alcohol table is what we got figured out real soon we were because we were the only ones not drinking there. And it was a whole table of us that went to Union or were real involved in church in high school, and we just weren't. But what was interesting is friends that I knew in high school, they drank, but they never let me know they drank because I was the leader of our youth group, and you didn't tell Lyle those kind of things. I don't know why, but they didn't. Would come up to me, and as they approached me, the glass would go behind their back. And they'd lean over to say something to me and talk to me for a minute. Like, don't, don't, don't look. You know, and it reminded me of the fact that for me, it's not even an issue. It's really not. If I see a person I went to high school with 10 years ago. I, I am not going to. Oh, oh, my goodness. 
what have they turned into? Now, there may have been a few people there like that at the 10-year reunion. There may be a piece of that about me. But it was just the, I got a sense again of how even in our culture, there's this understanding that if you really want to live for the Lord, that's not going to be a prominent part of your life. I can tell you that in the greater evangelical culture right now, there is a lot of sea change in this area. I mean, there are pastors at evangelical churches, churches that are Bible-believing, Bible-preaching, call people to the altar, that part of their men's ministry is a class on how to brew your own beer. They're not Baptist churches, but Baptist churches cooperate with them in some way in the greater evangelical world. In the Missouri Baptist Convention, there was a church that was planted by a Southern Baptist church planner, and he was a part of a network that had some churches that encouraged guys to drink responsibly as outreach. And the Missouri Baptist Convention almost split over that discussion. It's not an issue that's going away. But what doesn't need to happen is that we either A, bury our head in the sand and say, well, that's just what my daddy taught me and what I believe, and because that's what I believe and my daddy taught me, or the church I grew up in taught me, or whatever, I know that that's right, and just not listen to any of it. We also don't need to be arrogant and say, well, we're right on this issue, and the Bible says it, because the Bible doesn't explicitly say it. So we don't need to go to that extreme. We need to be open to dialogue and discussion and real conversation. But at the same time, that doesn't mean we go the other way and say, well, I think there's freedom here, and let's just let's race off with the freedom. And so it's a complicated issue that um, doesn't have an easy answer, but I think, for me, I know, and I, I'm perfectly fine saying this for believers in this part of the country, I think there's a pretty clear mandate on how to treat it if you want to be serious about leading God's people in a Baptist church context. We're done.